Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am oh so, so grateful that you are here Today, I am over the moon excited because I have my first interview because, you know, we're starting this out. This is episode three. Thanks for hanging in there. It's awesome. But today, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. She is probably one of the most badass women that I know. I am so grateful that she made it into my world. Her name is Heather Condomitti. She has spent 25 years in healthcare from being an EMT to a chief to paramedic and was an ICU nurse for 16 years until she's now experiencing long hauler syndrome from what she now knows was COVID and the good old Rona. After being forced to quit her job so she could recover, she dove into building her dream business. Even though she isn't an ICU nurse in the hospital, she's found a way to help others heal and provide critical care for the soul. Oh, I love that. She is a master transformation coach, a spiritual strategist, an intuitive energy healer, meditation instructor, educator, author, and speaker. Her experiences with emotional abuse, domestic violence, addiction, and nearly ending her own life has given her a deep insight onto what causes human suffering and how to truly awaken and heal. Through her own journey, she has created powerful programs that she now shares with others so that you can heal, awaken, and unleash your roar. Heather, girl, I love you, and I am so excited that you are here. So the name of the podcast is Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life. And so tell me, what made you say yes to jumping on a podcast with me? Oh, Julie, thank you for that introduction. And I too am so grateful that we have found each other and have formed a fast friendship. And I love watching you grow and blossom. And now doing a podcast, which you love doing, and inviting so many amazing and cool people on here, myself included. <laughs> um, but I love, love, love this. So thank you for the introduction. And why did I, why did I want to come on here? Because one, you're awesome. And two, I think it's so incredible inviting women on to share their stories of not just the bad things that happen, because we all have bad things that happen. But though there are some of us who have risen out of that, and I think it gives a lot of hope to others. I think it gives others strength. They can kind of lean on our experience as a way of strength so they can find their way out of the muck, out of the ashes. So they too can maybe get the tools or learn something new or have that support so they can find their way again. I love that. So when you think about your journey, because you and I've talked about it because we are friends and, and we're both in recovery. And when you think back, 
to all of the, the muck and the mud that you've been through, what do you think was your defining moment that triggered you into deciding that your life was worth, was worthy? Take us back to that. Cause you've shared it with me. Take us back to that moment when you were done and what made you decide to rise. There was one pivotal moment and you and I have talked about that, but there actually were some others along the way that I'll share quickly. Um, I really had to pick myself up and start over multiple times. Um, my first marriage was abusive. I was extremely young. Um, I was pretty much frightened for my own safety every single day. Um, and when I left that, that was terrifying. I was 21 um, in college, trying to work a horse farm with my parents um, and being in an abusive relationship, I didn't feel like I had anywhere to turn. And each of these experiences actually has woven into what I do today. But that experience of being afraid, um, thinking I was going to be killed every single day, um, not knowing what was going to happen, not wanting to be home, not feeling safe anywhere, but I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, being so young and having that experience, having to go through it, move through it and grow through it um, gave me a really deep insight, you know, around truly around abuse that it happens slowly often. They don't just start that way or else why would you be with them? But having to start over at a young age while still managing full-time school, while doing all the things I was still doing, trying to keep it together. I could not not go to school. I could not not take care of the horses. Uh, I was still part of the ambulance service, working on getting my paramedic and my bachelor's degree in emergency medical services management. I had a lot of responsibilities at a young age. Um, and I, I was hiding a lot of it from my parents, even though they knew what was going on. Um, but when I left that relationship, I had to learn to start building myself back up. I still worked with him. I still was in the area with him. So I had to learn wow. how to work with somebody that was an abuser who we were still at the same ambulance service. How scary that must have been. And I can't, I can't even imagine because coming from having that in my life, um, very similar, my first husband tried to kill me. And, and so, you know, I, I can't even imagine working with him. So when did the addiction kick in? When was that part of the story? When did that journey start? That actually started I probably when I was 16. Um, I started drinking to feel normal. I always ex was extremely empathic, but I don't, I didn't understand what it was. You know, we're not taught how to think. We're not taught what our emotions mean or how to process them. And my father was also emotionally abusive or emotionally absent. I had a great life. Like I really had everything I wanted. I really, from the outside, had this amazing life. I had all these enriching experiences as a kid and I had all the things I ever wanted and needed. But, and there's always that caveat, right? Behind closed doors, what happens? Um, my dad was emotionally unavailable, bless him. He was suffering from his own childhood wounds and he just didn't know how to deal with certain things. Um, you know, and that's the thing. I never suffered physical abuse, either from my parents or from that first husband. Um, but it was all emotional and it's really hard. I think to even wrap our own heads around emotional abuse. Well, I, I didn't get hit. So it's not that bad. Um, and also being super empathic and having these truly psychic abilities. I didn't even know what to do with, even though I grew up in a household, my mother has psychic abilities. She truly is an empath. She's incredible. 
Um, however, I didn't know what to do with it. So I started drinking to feel normal because I always felt like an outside alien. Like I just didn't fit in with kids. I spoke big words. I spoke differently. I acted differently. I didn't know how to be a normal kid. Um, and then being a teenager was rough. We moved when I was in high school, like junior high. Um, so just trying to fit in, trying to feel normal. I found alcohol. Now there really wasn't a lot in our house. My parents weren't drinkers at all, but they had a booze cabinet. So it started then. And when I realized that I could let loose, I could have fun. I would be accepted. Um, I wasn't the weird kid anymore. That's when it started. And then it just, it, it kind of became an, a normal thing. Being in a firehouse, what do we do after we're done duty? We go and we drink. Yeah. Um, I lived in the boondocks. What do we do? We go to bonfires and we drink. So yeah. it was a fun thing, a party thing. It then turned into a habit thing. And even though I was working 80 hours a week when I wasn't working, you can bet I was drinking. So, and that was to feel normal. And that was just to not feel things so deeply. And it was the one way I could fit in, feel normal and not experience all the different energy and feelings that I was feeling. So now you said something super, super curious about that I, that I want to talk about. So you said your mom is psychic and you have those tendencies and I know being a teenager that you are, I felt I was the outsider too. I was the one that I was the weirdo and, and I never felt in or fit in. And I never, I did haven't had those types of tendencies as far as the psychic that I've ever dove into, but definitely the empathic side. What brought you to that point that you and I have talked about with, was it, do you think it was because of the psychic abilities and the empathic that got you to the point where you didn't want to be here anymore? No, um, I really don't know. I just, I struggled. I had such a, my relationship with my parents has been my biggest source of triggers. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I, again, I love my parents. I will never do anything or say anything to obviously be disrespectful or hurtful, but I'm now learning that much of what I experience now is, is gaslighting. Um, there's some narcissistic characteristics to it, if you will. Uh, and I had to learn this when I went to addictions therapy, you know, I, we started talking about some of the, the things that happened. I always felt good about myself until I would get derailed and I didn't know how to not get derailed. So I'm, I'm not using an excuse, but my, my mom could derail me in, in two seconds flat. Yeah. I was okay with who I was. I was okay. If I didn't pass a test, I was okay. If I got an F on a paper, I was okay until, mm-hmm. um, and that, tra- that happened even into adulthood. Um, she didn't agree with my lifestyle. Um, didn't agree with my tattoos. Didn't know who I was. Cause I pierced my nose, like just things like that. Um, so my relationship with her, is it can often be very triggering. As my drinking progressed and also working night shift as a nurse, I used it to sleep. My husband and I, craft beer was our hobby. We moved to Savannah, near Savannah, just in a little island off of Savannah, Georgia. And that's a big drinking town. They drink open container, anywhere you want to go, you can drink. And we're like, "Ah." Um, (laughs) this is manna from heaven. (laughs) (laughs) He was not a big drinker um, at first. (laughs) (laughs) but we moved to Savannah and craft beer became our lifestyle. So we would drink continuously on our days off. And all the while we were having fun. And I remember having so much fun and it was just, we could go to the beach and drink. We could walk around downtown and get loaded and we would pregame to pregame. And it was so much fun. But all the while 
my mental health was declining day by day by day. It was bouts of severe depression followed by anxiety. I had to be drunk to talk to my parents or else I'd be so triggered um, because something hurtful would be said and I just didn't know how to process it. Um, and really that day, I think it all just come, like it was a culmination of all of that, not knowing how to deal with it. I started feeling more and more depressed. I'd be depressed. I'd wake up, feel anxious, have the shakes, start drinking all over again. Um, and it was that one night in December. I don't know what happened. My husband and I were having fun. It was right before Christmas of December, 2017. I don't remember the date, but we were cleaning. It was Christmas time. We are partying. It was so much fun, so much fun. And all of a sudden I went into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I didn't know who the fuck I was anymore. And all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, how can, how can I, how can I even be with my husband? Like, look at me. Okay. I'm going to start crying. And, um, and then I was thinking like, I'm not even fulfilling my dream. And I had such a strong calling for so many years to help people in a different capacity but I just couldn't get out of my own way. My first life coaching certification was done in 2010 or 11. Like I had done it years ago because that's what I wanted to do. Right. But through addiction and through working and on my days off, drinking, partying and living my life, I just didn't do anything with it. And all of it, all of it piled on me in that single moment. And I just didn't want to live anymore. I couldn't bear the pain of it. I couldn't bear the pain of like the disappointment to my parents, to myself, to my husband. I just didn't want to be here. So I think it, it just was a, it was like leading up to that, but all in that moment, I honestly don't want to be here. It was too painful to even look at myself. I was disgusted. I was defeated and I just couldn't bear the thought of being here another day. So I just wanted to tell you, I love you and thank you for your vulnerability. Um, it's not easy. It, uh, I've, I haven't walked in your shoes, but I've walked in shoes that are the same size. And I know how my feet felt in that moment. What made you decide that you were worth more here than not here? Just as I was going to walk out of the bathroom and get my husband's belt, I mean, how rude would that have been to use his belt to kill myself? Um, but I mean, that's, that's, I was like, I, it's the easiest one to use and I can use that. And just before I walked out of the bathroom, and I don't mean to laugh, but at some point it's like, what the fuck was I even thinking? <laughs> These thoughts go through your head when I remember being at that point in time thinking that if I do this, if I, if I literally do this, it's going to be messy and somebody's going to have to clean it up. And, and I don't want somebody to have to clean this up. I'm going to have to come back and clean it up, but I couldn't figure out how I was going to come back after I was dead to clean it up. Yeah. I mean, I don't, and I was drunk, so I, I was drunk in this moment, but just as I was getting ready to go out of there, like I was on the floor crying I don't know if I was physically, I say I was on the floor. I don't know if I was like emotionally on the floor crying or like if I physically sat down, I don't remember, but I felt like I felt low. Like I just felt I was like somewhere on the ground and I was crying, but I heard something or felt something. It said, get up. You're not done yet. And that's when I stood up and I cried some more and I was like, fuck, I'm not done yet. <laughs> fuck. I'm not done yet. Uh, and I just had this, and I will say this prior to that day and then the years well 
living in Savannah where the drinking really ramped up, uh, it, like six years, like it ramped up like hard for five to six years. Um, I mean, I was drinking before that too, but right. it was like a lot then. Um, I just had this urgency. I can't, it was like this internal sense of urgency, but I knew my drinking and my addiction was absolutely stopping me from really stepping into my purpose. Um, you know, my mom said that when, when she was pregnant with me, she knew like she, her, her guides told her that I was going to be a healer and a teacher and a leader of others. And, you know, I, I helped people heal physically working with trauma patients and neuro patients and the ICU medical patients, but I had such a strong internal calling, like there was more, but I was stopping myself every step of the way because of the addiction. So I think that night it just was like, get up, you're not done. I had this urgency that I had more to do. Uh, it's just, I get like chills everywhere. So is that the night that you decided that you were done with your drinking? Is that, is that the night that you decided, okay, I'm sober or did you say, okay, I'm not done, but I'm fucking, I'm still going to party a little bit until I'm, until I'm damn well, good and ready. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take one for the team. It didn't stop me. It, it no. did, honestly, it didn't stop me. That was in December. It didn't stop me. Um, yeah, I kept drinking. I think I went back out that night and we kept drinking anyway and partying. I just got myself together and I never told my husband what happened. He didn't even know what was going on. Like he didn't know how bad my mental health was declining. Um, because we would drink and party and have fun. And happy Heather came out. So, Hey, happy Heather's here. So, you know, nothing, isn't it amazing how we, and I'm sure the people that are listening are seriously identifying with it, with your journey in, in one way, shape or form, but how well we cover up what we don't want people to see. Like we have multiple masks that we wear. You know, we have the mask that we wear for our parents. We have the mask we wear. You know, I have kids and grandkids, the mask that I wear for my children, the mask that I used to wear for corporate when I worked in corporate. What was the shift that got you to get sober and start this true journey of what you do now, which is heal people's trauma from a spiritual and a soul sense. What, what was that? Take us through that. Um, oh my God, chills. Um, <laughs> well, we, the year I'll tell you, I wouldn't have stopped on my own. I, I would not have. Um, even though I knew it was killing me. Uh, and I honestly, a lot of the ICU patients I saw too were suffering from the effects of alcohol. And these were not old patients. These were young patients having hepatorenal failure and it was crazy. Um, so, I mean, that was eye opening too, <laughs> but um, what really led me to that is we did a love your liver month, March. We did it the year before where my husband and I were like, let's just stop drinking for four weeks. Let's just detox a little bit and we'll get back to it. Let's just put it down for a minute um, so we did it the year before I made it the four weeks. It was difficult. He made it three and he started a week, but then this time in March of 2018, March 1st. Um, so I certainly drank my fair share on February 28th or 29th, whatever it was a leap year. I don't even remember, um, started love your liver month, March. And we did the whole month, but I got so sick. I probably detoxed really hard. I actually got so sick, um, like 10 days, two weeks into it. Um, I was so sick that, um, 
I just laid on the couch. I missed the whole weekend of work. I was so fucking sick. I even quit vaping at the same time. So you want to talk about quitting two addictions? I had smoke. Yeah, I know. Don't smoke if you have asthma. Terrible habit. Whatever. Don't judge. Who cares? It is what it is. Poor choices, right? Uh, But vaping, I wasn't smoking and it was low nicotine. So I was vaping. I had to quit because I had such a bad upper respiratory infection and I was sick and I was probably detoxing. I quit both at the same time. And yeah, talk about misery anyway but I was so sick I just kind of slept for two weeks so I think I was able to detox I finished out the month of no drinking and I realized I'm like wow I'm not as fucking depressed anymore hmm my anxiety's not as bad hmm maybe I should stay sober a little bit longer. And it was never a really conscious thing to just quit drinking. But I also didn't start vaping again because I'm like, if I vape that nicotine, I'm going to want to drink. But then if I drink, I'm going to want to vape because I want that nicotine. And I will say to this day, I crave cigarettes way more than I crave a drink. Way more. Yeah. Yeah. Way more. I, girl, I get that every, I hate, hate, hate the smell of cigarette smoke. But it's that when you when you have it in your hand and you take that drag and it's the catch in your throat. And for those that are listening who've never smoked, don't go out and smoke just to don't see what we're it. talking about. Don't do it. Don't do it. But those who have quit smoking probably know exactly what we're talking about. You, I don't like the smell of it. I, I you know, I every once in a while I'll go out and I'll come home. And if I've been around people that smoke, I literally strip my clothes off in the garage, throw them in the washing machine and run naked through my house. You're welcome for the visual. Um, But it's, it's so funny because I I can't stand it, but there's that part of it that I still, I really, it was that it, it, I guess it was the ritual of it. It was probably the ritual of it. Mm -hmm. So you got the Rona, (laughs) you got the COVID, got the old Rona. Um, And you know, the funny thing is it didn't reach the South yet. See the rest of the world up North was experiencing. Cause I got sick on March the 9th of last year. I remember cause I had my therapist appointment and at the therapist appointment, it was like March 9th. I think I'm like, my throat hurts today. Hmm. So I even took a picture at the office. I remember like not feeling well. Um, and actually that weekend I had taken care of a really sick patient. Again, Rona was not in Georgia yet. So like the rest of the world started seeing it, but it didn't really hit the South until I think the week after I got sick, then all of a sudden they started seeing the Rona patients come into the ICU where I worked. So I just thought I had, I I just thought I was sick, but I got really super sick pretty fast. Um, But testing wasn't available. Like, you know, patients were not on isolation yet in our unit. This lady was like super respiratory sick when she came in super young. I was like in her face while they were getting ready to intubate her and all these. And I'm like, Hmm, she seems really in my mind is like, Hmm, her sickness seems inappropriate for her age and what's going on. Like it was in my mind, like there's something weird here. Um, anyway, I started feeling sick on Tuesday and it escalated really quickly. And that was the beginning of March. I wasn't getting better wasn't getting better. We're hitting April. I mean, I kept calling out of work. I went on short-term disability. Now I have asthma. I've had it my whole life. And I'm like, this is different. I was having chest pain, shortness of breath. My heart rate was in the one fifties. I was on multiple rounds of steroids, antibiotics. Um, I didn't go to the doctor because I'm a nurse who doesn't, I don't go to doctors. Um, But I also was so sick. And then I heard Corona was 
making its way here. And I'm like, I don't even want to go out in public. I don't know what I have. I don't want to be exposed, but my eardrum is ready to explode and I couldn't take the pain anymore. So I went to the doctor. I was 10 or I was 12 days in already and testing is not even effective. It wasn't effective then. Like they just were new in their testing. They swabbed me, but I come to realize they didn't swab me that deeply. I was already experiencing these symptoms for a long, like 10 to 12 days, whatever it was. But what the kicker is by April, I wasn't getting better. I couldn't breathe. My peak flow was low. My pulse ox would drop just walking around the house. My heart rate would shoot up to the 140s, 150s. The doctors didn't believe me. They told me it was anxiety. And this is a story I'm hearing for other people now who have had long hauler symptoms. Doctors blew them off, told them it's anxiety. You're making it up because they didn't know. They didn't know that these symptoms would continue. I wasn't hospitalized you know, the antibiotics and steroids took care of my respiratory situation. Um, I had low grade fevers, but I just wasn't getting better. And once I heard how bad like Corona was hitting our unit, the hospital and other people, I had already been on steroids now for several weeks. I knew my immune system would not be up to par to go back to working in a hospital. So I made the decision it was scary. My whole, my whole adult life, I've been in healthcare. It's what I've done. It was my identity. I enjoyed it. Um, it, I'm good at it. And I quit because I knew my health had to come first. Right. And I think that when you go through like what you went through with, you know, coming up from suicide and getting sober and releasing all of that, you learned that through that journey that you become priority that your health has to come first, because if you don't have your health, if you don't put on your own oxygen mask first, you're not going to be good for anybody else. So when you started through, I, I love, love, love your journey, first of all, and what you do. And I really want you to talk about you, you named this journey of becoming a coach. And, and I mean, I mean, I look at what you do, you're a spiritual strategist and intuitive energy healing. You do meditation and transformation. How did you get to the roar method? Where did it come from? And how can people like find all of this stuff about you? Because I'm so curious how this all interacted with you leaving healthcare. What happened? (laughs) Okay. So I leave healthcare. Um, I really left it in in April, but once I started feeling better towards the end of March, I was like, well, I'm not, you know what universe is telling me, start your fucking business already. Like you've been dicking around for 10 years, get moving. So, okay. But mind you, I've been recovering physically for the whole year. So my energy was shit. I I mean, it was difficult, (laughs) not only like trying to like work through this stuff, um, having the energy just to get up because the fatigue is a real thing and the brain fog is awful. But um, during my recovery and really in the first stages, when I was going to my addictions therapist, we started talking a lot about triggers and around the triggers I have around my parents, because that was the hardest thing. I didn't want to have no contact with them. They're in their eighties, early eighties. But I also needed to figure out how to navigate through my triggers because I did not want to go back to drinking. But you know that's the thing. And I've discovered even more recently, just because I don't drink anymore, I'm not really fucking sober either. Some days because still the thoughts and it's still the behaviors. You know, we get addicted to our own emotions. We get addicted to our pain story, um, and that truly is an addiction as well. 
Um, but during my recovery, I needed, I'm very strategic. And that's why I say I'm a spiritual strategist. I do talk about the woo and energy, but from being in healthcare and the way my brain works, I like to take things that are extremely intangible concepts and make them into very tangible bite-sized steps. It helps people learn. It helps people retain. And I needed that because when I was trying to figure myself out and deal with, and my husband was still drinking guys, by the way, Nate was still drinking and I was angry. I was, I wanted to crawl out of my skin most days. I didn't know what to do with myself. I hated life. I knew if I picked a drink up, I would kill myself. I was stuck and I was angered. I was a disaster every single day. I did not seek therapy until June. So March, April, and May, I was kind of on my own and I hated life. Yikes. It was horrible. When I started therapy and started realizing I had to understand my triggers, I had to understand the mechanism behind it. And I realized I started doing a process in my own head. I started looking at it. I started like, and I also then referred back to all of the different life coaching training I've had. I have several certifications in life coaching, if you want to call it that. I mean, coaching training. Um, I started looking at it and I'm like, I'm doing the same thing over and over. And the first method, it was um, AOAR. I'm like, oh, I need a fa- I need something better than that. AOAR doesn't mean anything. I was talking to a friend because it was awareness, observation, action, reflection that I was doing when I saw, when I felt a trigger, I would like, I'm aware of it. Okay. I see you. Hello. Hello. I hate you. Hello. Um, but then I'm like, Nope, I'm gonna hit the pause button and observe it for a moment here. Let's just observe things. Let's not react. Let's calm down. Let's look at it. Um, and then I was able to make from conscious awareness, I was then able to take conscious action. And then I would always reflect back where, where was my emotional state? What was the trigger? What needs did I have that I needed to meet myself instead of externally? So anyway, I was talking to my friend. She's like, recognize. I'm like, that's it. R-O-A-R. The roar method was born. And then my brand Uh. Unleash Your Roar came out of that. And really with Unleash Your Roar, it is about you don't have to be loud. Unleashing your roar is about finding that inner voice and finding that inner power and finding that inner calm. Because when we have that calm power, we are truly unstoppable, but we have to get there. And I wanted a system for myself that I now share with my clients. It is the same thing over and over because when our brains are in chaos, when everything else is going and we're not remembering to tap, we're not remembering to breathe, we're not remembering to meditate, at least with our logic brain and our consciousness, we can start to repattern our thoughts. So roar every time, just remember to roar. When you're upset, roar, recognize it, hit the pause and observe, decide what action you're going to take instead of a knee jerk reaction, and then reflect back and keep reflecting back. So you know where the trigger started. Anyway, that is how the roar method came about. And it is so useful because you literally can use it on the, I've used it in the grocery store (laughs) and I have used it to journal. Um, so it, it allows you to either do it quickly or go into the deeper work. So when you hit the pause button and start observing, you're like, Ooh, that's a belief system. Ooh, I gave that meaning. Ooh, yeah, I need to change my perspective. Ooh, I need to uncover that layer. Then you get to dive in deeper. 
Yeah. Uh, he, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm in trouble when I look at something. I'm like, ooh. Uh oh. If I do the ooh thing, it means that it's okay. It's it's yeah. It's time to to take a a little bit of a, a deeper dive. So how um how can people find you? I mean, what? So I'm I'm sure I know that there's people listening to this who are like, okay, I need to know about this roar method. I love Heather. She uses the F word. She's my favorite person. And and I should have put a disclaimer at the beginning. I will never not censor anybody on here because this podcast is all about being authentic and being who you are at your core. So uh, yeah, so I know there's people listening that are like, I need some Heather in my life. So how do they get you in their life? Okay, well, guys, um, don't have a website quite yet working on that. On social media would be the easiest way to DM me. It's Heather Prisby Condomitty. There is only one of me. I'm easy to find, but I'll put the, Julie will put the links in here. Um, my free group is Ohm So Good. It is a community where we discuss different lifestyles. Um, it's really about biohacking, you know, using these tweaks. Um, so Ohm So Good is a true lifestyle community. Um, that's a free group. I also have memberships and coaching available. The easiest way to get a hold of me right now is through social media. Um, either send me a DM through Facebook or Heather underscore condomity on Instagram and send me a message. Awesome. Well, I will make sure that in the notes that I put all of the ways to get a hold of you. Okay. So kind of wrapping up, if you could share one thing that has been really like when you found your wings what is the one thing if you could share with everybody that's listening what's the one thing that you would gift to them about finding your wings and learning how to rise I think it is so important and I didn't know this and this is one of the vows that I kind of made for myself and my mission is that know that you are not alone and I think so often we feel alone on the journey. So if anyone is listening and you have felt alone, know that you are not. Yeah. And that is part of truly of my mission is that I never want anyone to feel as alone as I did. Angry, frustrated, crawling out of your own skin. I Literally that feeling like you have nowhere to go, but you yeah. don't even like yourself and you can't get away from yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, finding my wings. That is my vow. I, I want you to know you are not alone. Um, and it's okay if certain things don't work out for you. Like if you don't want to do AA, if you don't want to do traditional therapy, if you don't, if something doesn't feel right, don't do it. But there is, there is, and are resources out there and people yep. who will be willing to work with you and support you in a way that feels comfortable. Sometimes you have to seek it out and get creative. I didn't know any of this. I knew nothing of this existed. Yep. I was new into coaching as well. So I'm telling you, those people are out there. You don't have to feel alone. You don't have to do healing in a way that people tell you you have to do healing either. Yeah. I think that's one I, I just, what you said just resonated so deeply is that, you know, I've been sober almost 31 years and, and I don't go to meetings. I haven't gone to meetings for years and, and people are like, well, Julie, you need to go to meetings. Well, no, I need to do what's best for me. My recovery is exactly that. It's my recovery. 
your recovery is exactly that. It's your recovery. And anybody that's listening to this right now, it is your recovery. You have to do it in the way that resonates with who you are at the core of you. It does not give you the excuse to go, well, I'm doing recovery my way. So I'm just going to drink once a week. That's not what we're talking about here. Because <laughs> trust me, we've all, anybody that's been there, we, we're like, oh, well, if she said I could do recovery my way. So I'm just going to drink once a week. We all know that's bullshit and it's not going to work. So, you know, here's the thing is that it's really about moving forward with purpose and with passion and understanding that your dreams are on the other side of the things that you fear the most. You have a saying, and I want you to say it because I always mess it up about the grass, about the grass being greener (laughs) on the other side of the fence. Oh God. I learned this from one of my business mentors, but I'm like, Oh my God, I can apply that to life because it's so fucking true. He says, you know what? The grass is greener on the other side. You know why? Because they water their fucking yard, because they pluck their fucking weeds, because they tend to it. They take care of it every single fucking day. They are tending to their yard. So if your grass is brown, yeah, the grass is greener on the other side because they took the time it takes to take care of their grass. Exactly. So, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I took it and I took it. I told somebody one day, I was like, I, I was trying to explain it. And I said, and here's the thing. If your grass is brown, the reason why there's a fence, the fence is everything that you need to heal to start watering your grass, to start plucking those weeds. Your fence is your inability to see your greatness. The fence is your inability to see that divine inner Phoenix that is dying to come out. You hear the call. You keep hearing the calls. The problem is we just keep putting it into our spiritual voicemail saying, I'm going to check it later. I'm going to check it later. Well, later is going to show up in a way that um, hopefully doesn't show up for the way that it showed up for Heather and I, which was a billboard across the face and a brick upside the head. So, I mean, hopefully your, your messages, you'll hear it on the first ring and be able to answer it. Heather, I, this was so much fun. I am so excited for this. I just am I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for everything that you do. I am grateful for who you are. I love who you are as a human being. You are a badass goddess warrior and I am honored to have you on this journey. And I am honored that you are the very first interview. I cannot wait till we get to like episode 100 and we look back and go, huh, well that was fun. Hashtag mistakes are okay. But I am, I, you guys, I know that you loved Heather. I'm going to put all the information to find Heather in the, in the show notes. And please, if this resonated with you, first of all, find Heather, get into her group. Oh, so good. It's O H M. So good on Facebook and find her friend or follower. And if this episode resonated with you, I would be so grateful if you shared it, subscribed, liked it. I mean, I'm new to this podcasting game. I don't know what it is that you do. I think it's rate review. I don't know. Do all the things. Just do all the things. And for if you want to see the video, I'm actually going to upload this and put it on my YouTube channel. And that link will be in the comments as well. Any last thoughts, Heather? No, I want to say thank you for allowing me and inviting me in this space with you and for being your first guest. This is so excited. Um, 
I will say shamelessly, I hope you invite me back again so we can talk more things about life and rising out of our ashes because um, this was fun. Um, but guys, thanks for listening to us. Go rate, go share, go like, go do all the things you need to do to share this. Um, my friend Julie is amazing and her mission and her vision are absolutely incredible. So guys, help spread the word. Let's all support each other. And that's about it. That's what I got to say. That's awesome. Yeah, it costs nothing to be kind. And and I close each one of, like, if you follow me on Facebook, I say the same thing all the time. Your voice matters. Your story matters. Who you are matters. You are enough. You were born enough. You sit as you are in your meat sack, exactly as you are enough. You're always going to be too tall, too short, too thin, too fat, too black, too white, too red to white to, it doesn't matter. You're always going to be too much for the wrong person, but you'll never be too much for the people that love you. And just know that you are loved, you are treasured, you are adored, you are needed in this world. Your voice matters, your story matters. And I am so grateful for you. Join me next week where I am going to be diving into some more fun, cool topics. And until then, I love you, I appreciate you, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you and remember, you are loved, you are treasured, you are adored, you are worthy, and you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired, and if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much and have an absolutely magical day.